Business Awards um, for the Chamber of Commerce and um, I'm delighted to be here today. Uh, obviously people are dear to my heart uh, and a very large focus of um, what my, myself and my team do uh, and we work really closely with Katie and I'm so proud of uh, what she and her team have done here with Millbrook and the Millbrook Leaders. As we know it's not just about the HR team, often companies don't have the luxury of an HR team uh, so what it's really about is great leaders doing great things and supporting their people and championing them along the way. Um, I'm so excited that we have uh, a, a, an Employee of the Year and a, um, a category that recognises the contribution that um, companies make and the support they put in for their people. Uh, too often, um, the people experience uh, isn't necessarily uh, as focused on as the bottom line and the revenue and the P&L. Um, but you can't do it without your people, and so it's great to be able to share and to learn and to hear about all the things that are available for our people and to come together in a forum like this and just share. Um, and so well, I would encourage you to ask lots of questions um, and to, to talk amongst yourselves and uh, to enjoy today. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to start uh, today's. Thank you, Jenna. We're going to start today's uh, session to hear from who? Uh, Jason Engel from MyHR. Jason was one of our head judges, but he was also the sponsor of the Employer of the Year category. So, Jason, if you want to thank you. Up. Cheers, hey everybody. Thanks for coming. Um, so, yeah, I was a judge. Please don't throw anything at me. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of things. I'll outline the format of today, I'll, then I'll talk a little bit about who I am and how I'm even qualified to be standing in front of you, if at all. Um, in terms of format, um, I'm going to go through some data that we've drawn from both SEEK, from our own database, from the recent report that the Chamber, or the Council commissioned, and then it got shared, um, Sharon shared it to the Chamber members, I think. So, <laughs> Thanks, Sharon. So, oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, I have referenced Benji, so we're all good. Hopefully there's no like, copyright kind of infringement right. here. Um, I feel like it's going to tell you stuff you already know, so I don't want to drown you in data, but it might just set the scene for a conversation about how we get more proactive and what we can do to, come, uh, to combat some of the issues around talent. Um, I'll then talk about why Millbrook won and give you some context as to what the judges looked for and, and what they did. And I think from that you can glean some perhaps tips around what you might do as employers. Um, then Katie's going to take over. We come back to a Q&A with Brian and I. Brian's basically the boss of everything here at Millbrook, <laughs> so you know, he's, uh, <laughs> he's got some great insight. A great boss. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Katie's in <laughs> I could definitely say there's upward pressure on wages for HR people at the moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> union, I'm completely union delegate. Uh, so who, I, who am I? How am I even qualified to be? My name's Jason and I'm the co-founder and CEO of MyHR. MyHR is essentially the HR department for businesses that don't have one. So we seek to do what Katie does for Millbrook. We've done this by building an HR software and we couple it with a team of experts who operate in an Auckland and Christchurch office and as of last month, Sydney. We now have, we're nine years in business, we've got around 2,000 clients in New Zealand, we've got 80 in Australia, we've just started there following two years of delay. I flew in last night actually after a three hour delay trying to get back, I've been in Sydney and Melbourne, but there's a lot going on over there, it's pretty exciting. Definitely got to reduce some of the friction around our borders, and I'm sure you all know and appreciate that. There were about probably 10 or 15 lifties and um, 
and ski instructors on the plane last night. That was pretty cool. Got chatting to a young French guy. It's his first season here, so it was like, yes, they're coming. But it wasn't as many as I kind of thought, you know. Seeing all the skis and snowboards roll out was pretty neat, but we definitely need some more, so, you know. I, and I know we all know this. Um, so yeah, my HR, nine years in. Prior to that, I had a corporate career of some 15 years. I'd worked for Shell in the UK. Um, I'd worked for the Woolworths Group in Australia. I kind of operate at the pointy end of HR, not so much the fluffy end. So big union negotiations, restructures, employment relations authority hearings, that kind of stuff. I like the law, although I'm not a lawyer. Um, and so here we are. Now my HR employs 60 people and we are growing pretty rapidly. So I've become a, a, a small and then medium sized employer. So that's kind of my background, combo of um, employment and HR. So hopefully that gives you some sense that I might know a little bit, but not, never everything. <laughs> um, stats wise, so staff turnover. So the overall message is staff turnover is up, right? So nationally, we've seen an increase in all except two categories of employment, and the red ones highlight the highest industry. So it may not surprise you to learn that accommodation and food services churned nearly 100% of its people across the country in the last 12 months. So massive staff turnover, and, and that's the number of, you know, if you have, I don't want to tell you basic math, but you know, if you employ 10 people, 10 people have left you. It might be 10 times you have recruited for two roles, but the point being, you're in market as many times as you have people, if that makes sense. Um, and it was our number one change in terms of staff turnover. Um, the other one that came in, uh, sorry, it was our number two. The other one that came in was here, information media and telecommunications. That's basically software developers. So anyone in here who's in software, good luck trying to find a good dev right now, right? And watch out. So we're getting grads come out of... Um, engineering, say Auckland Uni, do a pretty good software engineering degree, and they're, they're asking for 85 starting, graduate. Yeah. No experience, 85K. So, you know, you're looking at someone who's kind of younger than my oldest son, and I'm going, <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, software devs are crazy. What you can start thinking of doing, just to sort of jump into the proactive, is think about recruiting offshore. So one of the companies I met with in Australia, Deal, they're a, they're a Silicon Valley co, but they're rolling out. There's this thing called EOR, which I've never really heard of, and it's employer of record. And they will employ people for you to work for you rather than agency, uh, and you can hire developers in Brazil, Philippines, Vietnam, uh, Ukraine, parts of the Ukraine are still operating, and still people are still employing good devs out of there. Um, and so this EOR model is pretty powerful and it's a way to consider being a little more flexible around that. It doesn't really help you when you need people to serve in your restaurant or run your retail store though, unfortunately. So um, what I've also done, so this is the aggregate um, data. Uh, this excludes contractors and casuals because they churn kind of naturally anyway. They tend to come in and go. So this is your permanent workforce. Queenstown Lakes, so pulling the data that um, Sharon shared for us. What I found interesting is that we churn 25% of our employees, if this is across the board, so the average tends to squash some of these numbers, you know, here in accommodation, versus probably the, the other tourist areas that we compare ourselves with. And a really interesting point was made here, and that's why I wanted to highlight it, that if we just dropped from 25% staff churn to 20, we'd have 350 less vacancies we'd have to recruit for. And so when I talk about recruitment and people ask me about how do we find good people, the best way to find good people is firstly not to have to, is to keep your good ones. So staff retention is kind of number one before we talk about attracting talent from an external market. Do all you can to keep your talent. 
And you can see the impact of just a 5% adjustment and what that means in terms of number of vacancies we'll need to fill here. If you have any questions far away, I don't mind. Yeah. I'm always curious about these because there's no tourism in there, so where does that um, yeah, it's, um, it would be probably in some in here. Yeah, tourism's tricky because it's not actually like a sector in itself, representative in the status. So it is across a few, so you've got accommodation and food services. You'd have. The rental. Yeah, there's other. And recreation. And then there's an other yeah. category. The problem with the other category, it's got all sorts of randoms in it's it. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. 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 The biggest export was, the biggest export earner, but it doesn't even say cash. Yeah, it's frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I'll get on to the Department of Stats. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much influence I have. Uh, oh. Wage growth. So, staff turnovers up wages are up. So again, talking about something we perhaps all know. I pulled some SEEK data, and these are just some of their top jobs in terms of salary um, increase in the last year. So production worker in factories, 33% up. That's the number one um, increase. This data here are the advertised salaries that employers are putting on. So I benchmarked it against our database. We've got 25,000, 26,000 employees um, in our system. And so it mostly lines up. So we're seeing the average salary at you know, 47.8. They've got 47.600 grocery assistants. So our um, supermarkets have seen a bit of a jump, 30% increase in um, wages there. Labour is guest services. So this one around HOSPO. Um, what I, I've made a point down here around adult minimum wage and what that translates to is an FTE. So very few jobs pay the minimum wage. Um, and that's something I think worth noting, the, this, this wage creep up and above the minimum wage. We haven't quite hit living wage. Living wage is almost 50k when you translate that hourly rate to a full-time equivalent salary. Um, this I found really interesting. I don't reckon any barista in Queenstown is earning 21.57. I think they're earning quite a lot more than that. Um, and so this data is from our, we have several hundred baristas around the country. Um, we run, in, we, we do HR for a number of coffee franchises, cafes, from pretty much every region. So again, the averaging effect of smoothing that data. So I think those of you who are employing baristas will probably know that 2150 is not going to cut it in Queenstown. Um, but that's what you're up against as a national average. So if we can start maybe leveraging some of the benefits of having a ski season in Queenstown and what you might earn as a barista, is anyone prepared to venture? Or do you want to keep that data to yourself, what you're paying your baristas? 24 to 25. 24 to 25, yeah, that's what I'm yeah, hearing. Yeah. I've heard 28. Yeah. 28 yeah. More than that in Milford South with accommodation, like heavily subsidised accommodation food, probably also 22 to 24. So wage plus accommodation, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you're up against location too, right? It's so a plus and a minus. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think what that tells us though is that there's some leverage if we're able to pay this, you know, higher the higher wage, then there's something we can do there maybe to bring our um, coffee to the door. Wage growth here, so again, this is from the local data. Um, a wage growth rate of 11.3% here versus national average of 7.4%. Um, our data suggests that wage growth over the last year has been closer to nine. So this Department of Stats, they'll often, because they draw on such a wide base, that can often squish it a bit because you've got some um, public sector employers where wage growth is very slow and very steady. 
So I'd say national average for private sectors probably closer to nine. Queenstown's still above that. So upward pressure on wage rates and lots more people leaving, unfortunately. None of this is a surprise though, hey? No one here's looking at me going, no, I'm not seeing that, Jace. We're getting <laughs> way more people for way less money. Yeah, so, I'm sorry. Uh, job ads. So the SEEK data saw a massive increase in job ads. We've seen here, a, was it a fourfold um, increase in ads, quadrupled from a year ago, particularly in F&B. Um, so this, this is reflective of demand. For the first few months of this year, the demand in job ads, well actually it still outstrips the number of applicants, but it's actually started to come back in the SEEK data in April. There was an increase in applicants. So it suggests that people are getting a bit restless, they're wanting to move. That would be supported by the higher turnover. What we're hearing though is people want to move to Aussie, but we're also hearing, and this was Sharon I think in that report, about people in New Zealand wanting to move regionally rather than consider international. So this kind of internal OE vibe as opposed to getting offshore. And that I think still is reflected in people's anxiety around what might happen if you go away, you might get stuck, you don't get to come back and see your um, family for three years. Sam, our beautiful BDM over here, is about to go back to the UK to see his family in July for the first time in three years. And I think everyone who's an expat here has experienced that, and every Kiwi who's been an expat overseas has experienced that. So this external, this um, you know, macro factor of do I really want to go overseas, do I trust that I'll be okay if I go, um, that's potentially something else that we can leverage. So those are the stats. You're still awake, which is great, because normally statistics for people to sleep. Do you have any questions about my findings, about what I've put up here? about anything, you can challenge me. I've got a question, Jason. Yep. Um, there's a kind of view around that Australia is a more attractive destination for kind of low-skilled labour and probably maybe high-skilled labour as well. Mm -hmm. um, because of maybe cheaper cost of living, higher wages and so on. Yep. Is that actually true? <laughs> yeah, we, that's a really good question because we've been up against this forever, right? And I've lived in, and worked in Australia for three years. Um, it's, yes it is, but it's a tougher place to live in some respects. So wages are higher, no doubt. So if you look at, they don't have a base single minimum wage, they have these modern awards, which are complex, which by the way, those proposed fair pay agreements are taking us there. If you have any time, please make a submission, because these are a bad idea. Um, so they live in this modern award structure, but more or less, you can probably average and say their minimum wage comes in at around 23.50 an hour, so there's a couple of bucks there on us already. On top of that, you've got 10% compulsory superannuation. Their leave, redundancy, and those sorts of benefits are better but it's a way more aggressive employment market, and not all Kiwis like it, right? And it's full on. So you, you might be able to say, you know, someone will say, oh, I can go to the mines and earn 120 grand a year. It's like the toughest work you'll ever do, you know? It's not that great. So lifestyle-wise, groceries are cheaper. Property and rent, definitely not. You hustle and fight for property. Anyone that's ever gone to Sydney or gone to, the, to England, you know when you get a rental and you've got to run and you're there with like 10 other people and if you're not prepared to kind of put bond on the table on the spot, you're not getting a place. Whereas in New Zealand, you kind of cruise around and pick the place you like and you get on Facebook and you meet some people and you find a flat. So there's definitely swings and roundabouts. The earn is higher, but the lifestyle's not always better. And that's, I think, what we can leverage. Um, so yeah, that's... 
and that, it's across the board. So when I was in the supermarkets, um, you know, we had a really hard time getting people to move to Australia because they actually liked the lifestyle here. They weren't interested in the higher wages. We said, well, look, if you're a butcher, we can send you to Karatha and we'll put you in a house and we'll pay you $90,000 a year and you have all your rent. So this is, you know, just not even managing the butchery. This is a mining town uh, that turned over um, the, the supermarket. was one of the highest grossing supermarkets in the country. You, you just couldn't get people to go there because it's in the middle of nowhere and it's an awful, awful place. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not right. Full disclosure, my mum's Australian. Yeah. <laughs> she's from West Australia. So she's from Albany, which is like the other end of West Australia to Karatha, but beautiful little place. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I don't mind being a little bit upfront. Um, how are we going for time? Have I got time to talk about Elric before yeah. we. So, we, does, that, does that answer your question? Yeah. That, yep. yeah. Any other questions before I have a chat about Melbourne? So, um, I, full disclosure, I met Brian for the first time today, and today is the second time I met Katie. So, I don't have any prior connection to Millbrook at all. So, I feel like I assessed this pretty objectively. The Millbrook submission for Employer of the Year was hands down one of the best submissions overall across all categories. It was fantastic, so well done. Um, <laughs> it was just phenomenal. And what I wanted to address, I guess, is um, people may be thinking, oh yeah, but they've got Katie and it's Millbrook and they've got all this money and they're just like resourced to the help, you know. I don't think they necessarily feel like that. We allowed for organisation size and resource. So when a small employer is only able to kind of write a few pages, that's okay. We're not looking, it wasn't the glossy pictures and um, format of the document that won Katie this award or Millbrook this award. It was the content. And we made a real point of looking past the style and format to a point. If you've got, it's like a CV, right? If you've got spelling mistakes and grammatical errors, then you kind of like clearly have not put a lot of effort into your submission. Um, but we, we weren't looking for good graphic design. We were looking for substance and content. And so even adjusting for that resource equation, Millbrook stood out, head and shoulders above everyone else. It was fantastic. And what did we like? It was a clear commitment from the top down, and this can be applied to any business. We had Brian, we had Katie, we had their, all the division managers across the resort um, talking um, and discussing or describing their commitment to their team. This carrying of service standards through to employment standards, right? Your people are your service. And that was really apparent in your submission. So you think of Millbrook as this five-star, high-end, it's fine dining, it's fine accommodation, it's a great golf course. You need an employee experience that reflects that. Because if your staff are grumpy or upset or feel you know, mistreated or underpaid, they're not going to deliver that service, the five-star service you expect, to your customer. And so you have a five-star employment practice, which I think allows you to translate that. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're a trade, um, if you're in professional services, your people are part of your service. They will deliver it. It's a cliche to say that they're your greatest asset, but you, you have no business without your people. And that was really apparent in your submission, this connection between what you deliver to your customer and what you deliver to your employees. I thought it was awesome. As did all the judges, by the way. Um, using what you have to leverage. So I get it, they've got an amazing golf course, kind of in the middle of uh, a really beautiful place. They've got gyms and pools. 
But we all have advantages we can leverage in our business. We all have things we can do and we can offer. And you did that really well, and I think we need to get a little better at thinking about how we can do that. I mean, I run an HR company. I don't have a golf course to offer anyone. I don't have a warm <laughs> swimming pool to swim at that point. But there are things that we can do. We have locations in Queenstown, Christchurch, and Sydney. We can offer staff the opportunity, and we do this, to tr when they travel. I say, well, if you want to come to Queenstown, why don't you fly midweek so you get the cheaper flights? We'll put you up for a couple of nights. You work in our office in town, and then you just roll into your weekend of scare, and you deal with your own accommodation, and then you fly home. And we can offer that to Sydney, we can offer that to Christchurch, we have people who have family in Christchurch. And so this ability to go, we'll just leverage the locations that we have. It becomes a benefit. That's not stated in a policy, it's not written anywhere, but people really value it, and it builds loyalty within your business. And you guys leverage what you have really well, and I thought that was quite impressive, actually. Um, so I'm going to join the gym, if you don't mind, maybe do a bit of yoga. <laughs> <laughs> Honorary employee. So now we can bribe the judges. I don't, I don't know if I can judge again. So at one point, I was three up at 3 o'clock in the morning, like going through. I, and I said in the speech at the awards, like, I, I just wanted to give, do a shout out to the judges, not because we deserve uh, praise. Like, every one of you that submitted deserves the praise. But I wanted you to understand how seriously we took it. You know, this was not a dartboard exercise. The debate, the back and forth, I think it was the highest number of submissions for the Business Awards ever. Yep. And man, we worked hard. And we argued, we had all these kind of spreadsheets and algorithms going on, and we were working stuff out and debating, and we took it really seriously. And it was so difficult, genuinely difficult, um, to, to, um, to pick the winners. Um, this one here, dedicating time, effort, and money to being an employer of choice. So, Millbrook is a bigger company compared to a lot of you. It's not that big. We've got 230 people. Um, two, we're at 263 at the moment. 263. So, that's decent. It's not that big. My last employer before starting my HR had 230,000 across 1,200 sites. So, you know, 200 is bigger than medium. By international standards, it's medium to small sized employer. We know plenty of companies who have 200 or more who do not have any internal HR support, who do not invest any money in their people. And you can survive as a business at 260 without um, investing in this if you're lucky. But you won't go very far and you won't do very well in my view. You have to make a decision to divert money into your people, whether you've got five or 260, and you did that. You could easily make the call, and I'm not advocating this by the way, um, to, especially through the tough times of COVID, not to spend on HR. To look at those lines and go, this looks like discretionary spend. Um, this looks like stuff we don't have to spend because I need to, whatever, upgrade plant, upgrade equipment, upgrade facilities, I need to just save money across the board, whatever it is. You do that, it's very short-sighted. And I think you've got a long view of your people and the contribution they make. So the investment you make in this is proportional to the size of your business and the amount of money you make. You could do the same level of investment in a 10-person company proportional to your size is what I'm saying. It's that kind of ratio of how much time and how much of your money do you dedicate to looking after your people. So it's a conscious decision that Millbrook had made and that was really apparent in their submission. And we would have given the same level of um, props value to a business of 15 that submitted that could demonstrate a similar level of commitment to their people. 
So it's not something that just happens, you have to decide to do it. And Milbrook decided to do it, and that was really apparent in your submission. Um, and I just chucked in there, I really loved your training in predictions. So this is now getting into this thinking, forward thinking, positive, proactive approach to employment. Starting people as juniors, I think the video that stands out for me was the Baker one. That was, that was pretty cool. Um, but engagement with uh, Wakatipu High School, engagement with, the, with new immigrants coming in and at the level they're operating with a clear pathway to a higher level. And the, and the thing with that is you achieve, as you know, a higher level of qualification and salary, you transition out of um, temporary visas into the right to get permanent residency. And so training and cadetships are really, really important, and any one of us can do that. So that's why Milbrook got it, um, and I hope, um, yeah, I hope you uh, appreciate that context from a judge, <laughs> in case those of you that didn't get in. Um, do you have any questions about that before I hand over to Katie? Was there a small company, like a 510 in the top four, three? Top three for employer of choice was um, Ferg, Millbrook and was it? The future has tied to great future. Yeah, that's um, Margot's, hey, the yeah. Mexican. Yeah, yeah. So they were, they were the smallest, the Margot's crew, yeah. Um, Do they have multiple outlets or only one? Sorry? Do they have multiple outlets or only just one? They've got a couple, hey. Yeah. They've got Margot's. It was under the future hospitality, yeah. 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 So it's Margot's. It's a black truck for Yeah. yeah. So outside that top three, there were a couple of smaller employers. Um, so yeah, if I think back, see, now you're really testing my memory. So um, Margot's had this really, or Future Hospitality had this really transparent um, approach to employee rewards and sharing kind of profit for the night and then dividing that up into a bonus. They had adopted a an HR system, not ours, so they definitely got marked down for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and I, I talk about this a bit later, um, you know, this ability now to be, uh, as, as any size employer, we can offer really professional kind of human resource and employment engagement support because the world has been appified, right? So Margo's had adopted a few of those systems and it was, that was pretty slick. Ferg, um, just kind of the weight of their brand and what they had done as an employer um, and, and how they kind of connected their brand in the market to their brand as an employer. Um, we're not allowed to talk about those that didn't make the top three, I don't think. But yeah, they were, the, the keys were sort of all linked to this. But I've got to say, Milbrook was, was a standout. I would encourage more people to enter the employer of choice category as well. Um, we're going to skip that and go on so Katie can uh, have a chat. Thank you, good questions. Yeah, thank, you so much. thank you so much, Jason, and big thank you to Chamber and to Real and Zed for having the awards, and you know, it was just amazing to be a part of. And we're just so proud of the Millbrook family that we achieved it together. Um, it, it literally is everyone that makes the Millbrook family, and I think what I've popped up on here is this is our vision for our people and I'm all about the employee experience. I'm really passionate about that. And I think you can't deliver a great guest experience without having that employee experience as well. And I think the core foundation and values of that is the Millbrook family. We are family owned from the issues and it comes from the top down like Jason was saying, from the exec team and from all the business leaders in here as well, to all of our team members. And, and you genuinely feel it, especially when you've had times of uncertainty with COVID and you've got each other's back. And you know, you know, we've got managers running off shopping, food shopping if someone doesn't have their 
food and isolation and just, you know, the little touch points that you have throughout your career journey. So I think that's what makes us a little bit different, that we are family owned. So I think with the, um, the key principle when someone first starts their employment, we really focus on the 120 day critical attachment period. So that's um, your basic attachment theory from the 1930s, from the parent and the child, but it's actually when the employee sees your job advert, then applies online on the application form, then the interview through to the contract and boarding experience, and it's all those touch points, and you need to make it really seamless and you know, take an interest in that person and capturing their attention through that process, make it really seamless. So we've got an amazing marketing team here, Amanda, just over the side there. So Amanda and her team created these awesome bite-sized videos and it was basically, what does your office look like? So it's all of our different team members talking about what their role is in the business and why they enjoy working here at Millbrook. So anyone looking to come join the Millbrook family, they get to see a very, you know, small 30 second minute window of it. So I remember Daniel in our health and fitness team, he um, talked about he really loves how much well-being we do and how much we invest in people. And when I saw the first um, video of it, I was like, wow, we're doing our job. You know, that's what we want to hear because we want to invest in people personally and also professionally. And that's really important and we genuinely care about the person, and it's about their Millbrook journey, but also it's about their career journey. And one thing that I really hate when I'm doing an exit interview is that when they're leaving the business, I get that, they're, they're leaving the business, that's okay, but if they're leaving the region, you know, and if they're leaving our business, we want them to go on to their next step of their journey, um, but we want to keep this talent in Queenstown as well. Um, so I think it's really important that we support that. Um, so I think that's probably those key three things, the Millbrook family ethos, the employee experience throughout the touch points of their career journey, and also really focusing on that really important 120 day critical attachment period. I watched a Mindful Leader webinar the other week, and there was this really interesting stat in there that I was quite surprised about, and it said that 32% of your mental health for your team member is linked to their relationship with their manager. And I was like, wow. Um, but when you think about it, you're at work all the time, and if you don't have a positive relationship with your manager, or you've got something personal going at home and you can't share that with your manager, then actually that has a massive impact. So I'm a stat person, so I enjoyed all those stats. <laughs> um, so that was a really interesting stat for me. And that's why it's important that well-being, some people say it's a bit fluffy, but it's really not. And you need to um, really take care of your team. And I think listening to stats that you have in your business, for example, like your, we have the EAP, so your um, free confidential counselling service, and it's a great um, bit of information for us because we saw a bit of an increase in anxiety when people were going to the EAP services because they give you confidential reporting afterwards. So then we changed what we were doing um, from our well-being perspective um, 
you know, okay, do we need to do some more breathing techniques? Do we need to, what can we look at from a wellbeing perspective to support people? So I think because we're not a corporate chain, we're family run, you make values-based decisions and decision-making can be very fluid and you can move in the moment and just tweak your strategy as you go and navigate. So what I planned for this year hasn't happened and I have to reconcile with that because obviously we've had COVID and things like that and you know you just have to make the best of the situation. So um, yeah, so that's probably the three cornerstones that I'd say. Um, we've got a, a little bit here about the learning development. I was really hoping that Lou would be here, my amazing colleague. So she is our learning development specialist for the business and she's doing our recruitment this morning. So thank you to Lou and Barb and the team. Um, so I think what I was saying earlier about the professional and personal development, we've got lots of different tools and strategies. So one of the ones that we've had for quite a long time is LinkedIn Learning which is, who, put your hand up if you've used LinkedIn Learning. Okay, so a few. I really rate that because you can learn anything from photography um, to leadership, communication, you can even learn how to play ukulele on there. There's a great list of webinars. So it's really, really cool and you can do it 24-7, literally outside of their work hours. Um, we do a lot of stuff through Primary ITO, BCITO, Service IQ, a lot of NZQA recognised, we work very closely with SIT, QRC, um, and one particular story that touched me last year, the team member here, so COVID, you can't go on holiday at the moment, you know, two years, what do people do? And um, so, okay, let's look at my professional and personal development. So we had a team member, I won't say who it is, but um, they haven't been to school for about, I don't know, nearly two decades. And they're like, right, I'm gonna do some studying. And they had the barrier of going through the exams. They were quite nervous about it. So what we did, we did some one-to-one -one coaching with them. So they could actually, they didn't self-sabotage and they knew that was the reason why they didn't wanna do it, but they knew at the end of it, they could get a level four leadership qualification. So I think it's about um, supporting people along their journey, what they choose to do. And that's really important for us. Um, and with Lou, I think that was a game changer for our business. So she joined at the end of 2020. And because Lou is a learning specialist, we've been able to tailor in-house programs. So she's developed an umbrella of Millbrook Masters. So basically you can do bite-sized learning for an hour, and you can lunch and learn. You can do lots of like peer-to-peer -peer coaching, things like that. Um, but one of the most successful things, and when Lou does come, I'll get, you, I'll get her to talk about it, but is inspiring leaders. And that has been so successful. And it's identifying your potential future leaders in the business, whether you're a senior food and beverage attendant um, or an events coordinator. And basically, she'll develop a, a career plan for them whilst doing the inspiring leaders training as well. Um, and it's followed up with one-to-one -one coaching. So that's an annual program that is now part of the business. So we had the first one last year, and then um, so Brian speaks at the session as well. So there's Ben O'Malley, the other director, and then Lou's coached a really cool graduation ceremony at the end as well. Um, so it's just to recognise internally. So it's an amazing um, program that's part of Millbrook's, um, you know, sweet now of learning. So that's all that's out there. And then I thought, this is a bit tongue in cheek, so we work hard and we play hard. 
So I think it's really important to recognise in hospitality tourism, when you're at your peak, you're going at 110%, and you need to have your team to let your hair down as well. Um, so we've got lots of cool social events, so you can see some pictures up there from the Oscars. So that was actually pre-COVID. We've not been able to quite deliver an <coughs> event like that since, but um, we, we will get back to it soon. Um, but we have two big events a year. So we've got the annual winter party coming up in a couple of weeks. So we're just going to the Yonder for a DJ, a few drinks. And then we have the annual Christmas event as well. We've got a really, really cool social club um, with great engagement as well. So we've got some skydiving there. So you can see Hagen at the top. He's not looking very happy, but he was very happy when he landed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I think you just got to push people out of their comfort zone as well with these social activities. We do an annual Easter egg hunt and um, Halloween scavenger hunt. And sometimes you just got to embrace the inner child. And it's actually great team building. So, um, yeah, so I think we just, you know, we work really hard, but you've got to have fun as well. And you've got to love what you do. So that's a bit about working hard and playing hard at Norfolk. And then here's a bit about our well-being. And I love this quote. Um, I think that's probably one of my favourite quotes at the moment. And just talking about um, some of the feedback from our engagement survey, we've um, noticed that burnout was a massive theme last year. So I'm not sure if that's been a bit of a hot topic in anyone else's business, but it definitely was for us. So we decided to engage um, with a burnout expert called Sarah McGuinness. And she came in and did a bit of a session with the team members. So everyone. Um, who wanted to come, come. it's not compulsory, so people just choose to opt in. And we had really, really good uptake. And I think probably one of the key learnings that we took from Sarah's workshop was that um, you have bricks, and for example, like if you're, I don't know, COVID's a brick. Um, say if you've got an elderly parent that you're taking care of, that's a brick. If you've got children or something's happening on there, that's a brick. And then what can you do to lighten the load of these bricks? Um, and it's what's in your sphere of control, where can you lean on, do you need more flexible working, you know, and, and actually talking about it and sharing it with your, with your loved ones as well. And I think that was a really cool workshop to get people talking about it. Um, and probably one of the key takeaways is if you look in your life position from the age of 30 to 60, you have so many different changes, like you're buying your first home, getting married, having kids, you've got to work and all that with it as well. So just learning about that was really, really cool. Um, talked about um, Emma Ferris. So um, we're quite early on in our um, well-being journey, personally, I think so. We started at the end of 2019. And our first workshop was with Mel Hara, and she basically um, started with the five ways to well-being, and that's our foundation for our well-being strategy for the business. So being active, keep learning, um, volunteering, things like that. And then the next one we did was with Emma Ferris, who is a physio, but also is a breathing coach. So she's come in annually ever since, and everyone gets a really good um, overview. It's a good refresher as well. And just having more tools in your tool toolbox when you are under pressure, whether it's at work or personally, and you can apply it in, in both. Um, and then this year we've just started to do nutrition workshops, which is awesome. So that was again more feedback from the engagement survey that people 
um, sleep and eating were two of the top things, so we've chosen um, the theme of nutrition. You can't do everything, so you've got to pick what you can do. <laughs> um, so that will be next year. Um, and I think with the nutrition, so we launched it, we did New Year, New You. Um, so Brian went to the workshop, um, and uh, it was this lady called Sean Lee from Wanaka, so she's a holistic nutritionist, and she just gave us 10 health hacks about um, what, what to do. And uh, the other week on Pink Shirt Day, we had a big team event, and then she came in to do how to recover after having COVID and nutrition to do. So I think it's about um, taking care of your team, you know, and um, for me, my intrinsic driver is a sense of belonging, and that's why I really connect with Millbrook and the Millbrook family ethos and that we've created here. And if you think about how many people here who actually aren't from Queenstown and that they don't have family here, even if you are Kiwi, generally you don't have family here. So, so that's why you know your work family is your family. And yeah, so I think it's just an um, amazing place to be a part of, and everyone has contributed towards this award, and it's um, an amazing achievement for all of us. And thank you so much for coming today and, and letting us share. And I'm not saying that we do everything right, we definitely don't. And it's about being accountable when you don't get it right. And I think my mantra for the last two years, if you're not winning, you're learning. I've done a lot of learning. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you. Yes. Any questions for Katie? Thank you. Quite a bit there, and that's um, awesome. I think hopefully you can see why they won the award. Um, what I wanted to round out the session with um, before we get into Q and A is this what is this what I'm doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happens when you have a full-time person dedicated to your people, right? Um, and I mentioned earlier about you can um, you can achieve the same without needing that if you're not enough to justify that. And I've coined this phrase lately. I've done a couple of interviews on the radio and stuff, and we've called it the SME advantage. So maybe I'll trademark it. Um, but when I think of SME, I think of 100 or less employees. And that's typically a size of organisation that can't justify a full-time HR person um, or... A, an HR manager on sort of six figures and then a, an admin, an advisor, you start kind of layering cost that you just, one, can't afford, and two, you don't have the workload for anyway. Um, so what do you do? Firstly, you're going to have to make time for it, right? We're all busy running our businesses, but so often we get so caught up in that we forget this stuff, the proactive people stuff. It's figuring out how you force this into your life to be a micro version of Katie for your business. But the beauty of an SME is we are not constrained by layers of management and oversight. So when we're up against our corporate competitors for labour, they have to go, everything has to go through levels. Oh, we have to get approval. Sign the rec form before you're allowed to hire the person. Someone's going to check the, uh, the wage budget and approve your hire or not. Meanwhile, three weeks has gone by and you haven't even placed an ad for the vacancy you've got. SME do not need to operate like that. Like we can move when we are ready can be and should be flexible when offering benefits. This, to me, is gold. You do not have to be single-minded and go, OK, we're going to offer gym membership to everybody. That's how corporates need to think. They have to think in this term of consistency. You might give one person a gym membership. You might give another a 2% kick in their KiwiSaver because they value retirement savings versus the person who values the gym versus the person who might value some help with accommodation. 
you can do this, provided the, the parameters in terms of the legislation are that you're being consistent and fair, that you're not making decisions based on discriminatory grounds. Outside of that, you're on, you can do what you like. Then you've got to be careful about engagement. Then you don't over-remunerate somebody and under-remunerate someone else. But if it roughly evens out, you can have this benefit structure that meets the needs of your individual employees. If you've got 30 people, you potentially know what each one of those 30 people is interested in and wants, and you can flex your benefits around that. You don't want to budget, you want some parameters, don't get crazy. Think about the effects of compounding. Um, by that I mean, you know, um, what pay increases mean kind of downstream and, and, you know, don't just throw money at a problem. But flexibility is massive in an SME because you can make the decision. You might have a board, you might have a business partner, but beyond that there are not layers you need to go through. Um, we can offer exposure to all parts of our business. And so when I talked, and Katie, you talked about people leaving um, your organisation and then the pain of them leaving the region. And so we, we can expose people to all parts from the business owner right down to the entry-level job that they are in, but potentially also to other businesses within the region to keep them here. So if you have a young person working in, in a hospital out there and they're looking to get into software development or human resources, I'd like to think you pick up the phone and go, Jason, we got this guy, rather than send him off to Wellington or Auckland, do you have anything going on at my HR that might work for him? And we keep some talent in the region. While he enters a cadetship at my HR, he's doing part-time shifts, so you haven't completely lost him from your restaurant. I just did that on the spot. But this is the kind of thing, and then when you come into our business, we talk about, so I do a monthly update with my team, and we talk about the money we made in the last month, we talk about our customer churn, we talk about our customer acquisition, we talk about how Australia went, we talk the good, the bad, and the ugly, then we have some beers and we have pizza. And even when we were doing this remotely, we were doing it on Zoom, and we were having pizza and beers on a monthly basis and talking about our business and exposing our most junior grads to the stuff that we're talking about at our board meetings. And it's really quite powerful, and big businesses don't do that. You're always disconnected from what's going on. Um, make decisions fast. You can move. Don't make decisions under pressure, and stressful decision making is never good decision making, but when you want to move, you can move, and again, larger companies are constrained by layers of permissions. And this last thing, so how, to, how, how are you Katie when you don't have Katie? Um, there are tools for us now like never before. LinkedIn Learning is a great example. The, the apps that we have access to. I mean, our, and this is a shameless plug for us, but we're just a version of many HR services that are out there. We are the HR department for businesses that don't have one. So I, I don't work with Katie and Millbrook because they don't need us. We have our software platform and we have a dedicated team of HR people who give support, advice and guidance on the phone and through the software. So we create a version of Katie that for a business of 10 people looks like three grand a year. And that's what tech has allowed us to do. And whether it's, yeah, LinkedIn Learning, what does LinkedIn Learning cost? It does, so you have What's to pay a fee. So I'll be transparent, we pay about 15 grand US dollars for it, but it's for everyone, for the whole business to use. And you can be really strategic with it because we were honest with them and said, look, we can't afford to buy a license for everyone and not everyone's got a work email. So you can actually link it to a generic work email and everyone can access that. Um, so there's ways around it, you can be flexible as well. So yeah, it's de definitely a great resource. Yeah. And there are free tools as well. And you know, look, so much is available to us now to kind of be a small employer that can deliver the experience of a large employer in terms of sophistication. So um, 
the small and medium enterprise market has some really distinct advantages, I think, over large corporates, and we can leverage that and leverage it hard. And so when you see presentations like Katie's, I encourage you not to think um, that it's a bit overwhelming and we can never do that. It's how you do that with the resources that you have because it's infinitely more possible now. Um, and so that's the roundup of that. If anyone's got any questions, because we go now to Brian and I yep. for open Q&A. Um, so I'll put that down. Brian, thank you, mate. Appreciate it. You're a busy man. You're running a big business. Right. I will be deflecting a lot of the questions on the key. <laughs> so to, to, just to start, what, how about an intro? Yeah, Brian. Um, so an intro, I've, uh, I've actually been at Millbrook for um, 13, nearly 14 years now. Um, came straight from, from Scotland um, and uh, joined Millbrook as, as HR manager. I was, uh, my background is in HR. Um, I was working in a whiskey uh, company in Scotland, funnily enough, and uh, there are not many people that leave whiskey companies in Scotland, in fact, I think that was maybe the first. Um, but, uh, but we came to Millbrook and um, was HR manager and then um, had an opportunity to become operations manager, head of operations and, and now director. So I guess I've got, I've got a background in, in, in HR, but uh, we're quite removed from that for oh, a number of years now and uh, just uh, just sitting and watching in, in awe of Katie presenting and telling us what we're, what we're doing, which, is, which I think is, is fantastic. <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Yeah. So we, can I, I'll ask a question. Put your hand up or just shout if you want to. Oh, yeah, yeah, other question. <laughs> um, how much do you think the immigration settings are going to kind of affect the employment landscape in Queenstown in the next little while, um, is the kind of you know, reduction going to have any effect? Yeah, look, I, th I, I think it's huge. Um, and um, I guess the, the the biggest thing out of that is going to be um, around the uh, the wages and the, the, the pegging. Um, anybody who's coming in to a, uh, an accredited employer's work visa on that, that median wage. Um, and look, I, I, I get the, the government's intent here in terms of trying to increase uh, wages in the, um, in, the, in the sector and for, for migrant workers. We've got to make sure that we are, we are looking after migrant workers. As Katie says, you're, you're at a home from home. Um, what, I, what I think it will do, though, is a lot of businesses are going to struggle to pay at that median wage level for... Um, entry-level positions but that's nonetheless uh, what we're going to have to do and I, you know we certainly can't be sitting with Kiwis being paid uh, $24 when we've got um, a migrant worker in the same role at 27.76 so it will bring everybody up to we've got a bit of relief in terms of uh, we can go to $25 until April next year and then 27.76 so I think I think what that will do is, is have the effect of making wages and salaries less of an issue in terms of people's decision to move jobs um, because in reality um, most most will be paying 27.76 particularly in, in, in tourism and hospitality for, for those beginning positions so probably what's going to happen is we will then need to start looking at what are the other benefits that we can offer what how do we 
how do we differentiate ourselves from other employees and uh, other employers? Sorry, is that through flexible working? Is it, you know, Jason was talking about what, what can we utilise at Millbrook? Um, is it through uh, selling the benefits of being able to come to Millbrook and, and work here and play golf and join the gym? Um, what are we doing in the space of, of well-being and welfare? Um, just trying to make sure that we are an employer of choice that is that is not just uh, looked at in terms of, of wage and salary. I think that point I think. around no, that's gold, and I and I think you make a really good point around this, the effect that that um, immigrant wage spike will have on um, regions like ours, because it will drag up the local population. Absolutely has to. But then suddenly we're now offering, because we need to, a higher wage to other regions that don't rely on immigrant workers. So they'll still be paying Kiwis at the 21.20 or the, the whatever it may be. So there's immediately a higher wage. So what I'd encourage you to do is start budgeting now, figure this out because the cost increase is coming, it's, it's in the legislation. There's the bureaucracy around becoming accredited now, which of course we all have to do. Were you already accredited? As, as an employer yeah. under the old model? Under yeah. the old model, yeah. So, and many of you may have been because of that kind of constant recruitment of, of immigrant workers. But I think the the positive of that, uh, the wage inflation that this will drive in, in a region like Queenstown, is that that should set us apart from non-immigrant reliant regions of the country. Um, but you're going to need to start thinking about what that's going to cost you, run your wage budget, look at it, and then you know look at what the northward movement of wages then starts to look like. And then, yeah, once we establish that floor, I think you're right, the, com the competition around a wage will, will lessen, and the discussion around other benefits, including is this a good, good place to work. But, but it's how, how, do you, how do you fund those other benefits? Because, I mean, certainly from, from a Millbrook point of view, um, we've done about 260, but we've probably got to about uh, a peak of 300 employees. The cost for us to move, and you know, we, we've been making our best endeavours to try and get to it, at least living wage and now having to go to medium wage. The cost for that is, is, is huge in a business like ours. Yeah. And we are, in tourism and hospitality, we are low margin businesses. so. It's very hard now to, to try and find where, where do we get that, um, that, that extra cash now to, to make sure that we still keep on moving forward um, and, and fund extra uh, additional benefits to, uh, to give us a point of difference. Good question, thank you. Anybody else? I've got one. I'll just ask a quick one. How many businesses are going to shut down because of the fact they can't, their business model can't? Can't do 28 bucks an hour. It's almost a question for everyone. Yeah, it is, right. Um, there's bound to be a few, which means that their landlords suffer, which means the value of the building they're in goes down, which means the rate stuff goes down. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it, it, it is a huge cost, there's, there's, there's no question about it. And I think, you know, it's maybe an opportunity to, to get back in and just look at the business and look at the business model and what are we doing, how can we change. Um, so, I think, you know, Maybe I have to look at it through a, a different way in terms of are we going to close down or what are we going to do to change uh, in order to be able to uh, to make sure that we are able to pay at that, that median salary. So it's two primary levers, right? So increased revenue or decreased cost. So increased revenue comes from either more customers or higher prices. Yes. Um, decreased cost comes from that internal sort of cost cutting. So but where can we shave? But, but you, you don't have many levers to pull, and when you start yeah. looking at it just on a on a price basis, then you know to some extent, pretty soon you, you you're not offering value for money if you just keep on increasing your price, and that, that becomes a real concern as well. 
lockdowns and into just a world that manages COVID and then we see, depends a bit on next year's election result too I think as to whether <coughs> things like fair pay agreements and, and the ACC insurance scheme that they're proposing, whether these will all get through and stick um, because they will also add cost and there's another what 1.3% employer tax, 1.3% out of the employees um, back pocket for this ACC redundancy and, and medical termination insurance scheme. Yeah. It's a whole other session, right? We can do it. <laughs> <laughs> we can book a session. Don't get me started. Congratulations, those such amazing um, initiatives. Uh, and clearly, you've implemented a lot of great things. Has there been anything that you have implemented, I guess, some key learnings that maybe you would have done differently or might not have worked in the way that you wanted it to? Yeah, I think um, we'll talk about this yesterday, weren't we, about um, different things that we, that we could have done with reflection. And I think it has been quite difficult how quickly you do have to manoeuvre and navigate. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we did not nail, which was coming back to work after being in lockdowns mm -hmm. and working out the agile, hybrid working, returning to the office and also working from home. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something we still, we're gonna work on, so it's a goal for, for this year. And I think with that, that, um, it's very difficult when you've got um, team members that are working on the front line, operational, but then also you've got you know corporate services such as IT, marketing, you know, and, and other roles in the business that are more nine to five, Monday to Friday, and having a good model that works for everyone. And we're not a Monday to Friday business; we're Monday to Sunday, mm -hmm. and you know, so so making it work for the business but for the people. So not saying that we didn't get it wrong, but we didn't get it right either. So that's probably what we need to work on. I still do struggle with the, the working from home and you know a lot of what we've talked about here is culture mm -hmm. and how does working from home and, and having teams that are, um, are, are remote, how does that impact on culture? Mm -hmm. And that, that's something I think we've still got to get our heads around and, and work out how that, uh, how that can be provided in a, in a flexible working arrangement, it's still not impacting the culture that we've got. Yeah, I think one of the things that I love that I can just get up and walk into Darren's office, <laughs> um, you know, and... Uh, He's not there. Uh, <laughs> 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 He's not there. Um, you know, when you've got a question, you can just, you know, walk into someone's office and you can have that those kind of connections and conversations. And that's removed when you're not, um, you know, in the office. Yes, you've got Teams and Zooms, but it only goes so far, personally. And sometimes you need to have a courageous conversation with someone over the phone or over Zoom doesn't cut it. You need to look at them in the eye and have these kind of conversations. So, um, yeah, so it's an interesting model that we have to work out. I've just got a question about the logistics of, you know, some of the um, initiatives you do, like the Easter egg hunt and stuff, because, mm. you know, when we're seven-day businesses, mm. it's really quite hard sometimes, isn't it? And it's actually been easier during COVID when you've been shut down or you've, mm. you know, we've actually made some decisions now not to operate, which would never, ever happen before COVID. Mm. So it's quite interesting that sort of mentality has changed. Like, if we're short-staffed, then we will make some, you know, some decisions. So how do you manage that type of thing? Because does that mean that people are coming in, do you, do you pay them? They're coming in mm. on the days off? Or so all of our training, we pay for people to, to attend the training, so if it's on their day off, and um, so if they want to come to the nutrition workshop, we'll pay them to come in and do it. And it's voluntary. And it's voluntary if they want to do it. 
So, and I think that's the fairest way to do it because, again, it's going back to that investing in that person wholeheartedly. And yes, it is a cost to the business, but um, you can't put a price on loyalty, you know, and you can't put a price on someone's happiness in the workplace. And my saying is, if someone's not whistling on the way to work, I want to know about it. And you need to find out ways to engage people and get them interactive in the workplace. And it doesn't matter what's going on at home. And our marketing tagline is escape you every day, but literally escape you every day at work. We can give you consistency. Um, we can give you great things to, to help you personally and professionally with your development. I just got a, a question around flexibility because that is becoming so important mm -hmm. with employees now. Um, and you mentioned those front those front facing roles. Mm -hmm. have, do you have any idea of what that could look like for those front facing roles? Oh, that's a big question <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, that's a big question, and I don't have the answer, and I wish I did. And if anyone else has the answer, please share. <laughs> um, but I think uh, we've got amazing managers here, and you know, every single team member and manager, that's the reason why we won this award. And you know, I think it's great that um, the managers do listen when they're doing their rosters. We don't get it right every time. But if their partner's on a different day off, we're obviously trying to accommodate that. But again, you know, we can't hand on heart do that all the time. And it's just about having an honest, candid conversation about that. Um, but going back to Rachel and, you know, Brian and, and Ross, they made a call about not opening the hole in one until 10.30. And then we just, we're relying on the clubhouse for the morning tea, coffees and breakfast because we can't run both restaurants at the same time because we don't have the staffing. And then if we did have them both open, then you go into that burnout cycle again. So you do have to make those decisions operationally. So I think because we've got such an amazing team, they do put the people first when they're making those operational decisions as well. I think, I think it's very, very difficult in, in yeah. frontline roles because you've got to be there and you've yeah. got to be present. And as you said, we're, we're seven days a week, so that, that, that's hard. I think, I think flexibility then comes into, as Katie says, um, we're either we're operating the millhouse not seven days a week but five days a week and then we try and move staff from Kobe into the millhouse so that they're getting a bit of variety in the, the roles that they're undertaking as well and the, the immigration settings that you're going back to the, there is undoubtedly staff shortages everybody will be uh, aware of that can we give people more flexibility in the roles that they're doing so that they're covering more and, and just feeling that they're not doing the same thing repetitively um, and try and offer some, some, some flexibility or variety, I guess, into roles in that way. I think, um, Katie, you made a really good point there around when your managers communicate before building the roster, it makes all the difference. And it, it sounds really basic and obvious, but flexibility has become this kind of catch cry, right? Flexibility is different to every single person. And so if you are able to ask each person, what does it mean? When you say you want flexible, what does that mean? Does that mean you only want to work midweek around school, pick up and drop off? Do you only want to work weekends because you have midweek commitments? What is flexibility at an individual level? And what I find, and we always find, and this is one of the basics of engagement, is when you know that and then you're seen to put, that, to put some effort towards it, you don't have to go the whole way. And it's the same when you negotiate packages and people go, I don't want to ask, what if they want a company car or a helicopter trip to work or whatever it is, you know, so let them. Just because they're asking doesn't mean you have to give it. But tell them, just if you had the ability to design your own roster that's perfect for you, what would you choose? What is flexibility in your universe? You go, okay, great, well look, I can deliver like this much of that. 
they're heard, they, 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 they feel heard and understood, and they can see that you've made an effort to deliver some of what they've asked for. And in return, your obligation as an employee and the fact you're working for a seven-day business is that we're going to need you on this day. And that might not always line up with your partner's day off, but at least a couple of times a month we'll make sure that it does. That was a massive way with, with that piece. I think it's got to be fair, though, and that's, that's again, another one of the challenges. You know, we've got, look at health and fitness, we've got two guys who play football on a Saturday and they want Saturdays off. Now, that, that's great, we can offer that, well, but actually can we? Because then everybody else who's asked to work a Saturday is saying, well, actually, why, why am I here? Um, when, uh, you know, it, it, just, it just doesn't work that way. So we do, we do try and build in flexibility there, and we've, you know, we've got to look at other um, um, other mothers with school-aged kids who can come in and work certain hours. What does that do to the to the, the rest of the workforce who are then asked to work uh, out, outside of that? And that, that that fairness, I think, is a is a huge challenge to, to try and balance off with flexibility. Um, with 260 odd people, um, communication is obviously key for any business. So, how do you guys communicate with with your running your teams? Like, what communication channels do you guys? Yeah, that was actually one of the main points in the um, last year's survey where we really needed to work on. Um, so, we've got an incredible IT and marketing team, and they really help with our communication. So, IT um, they launched Teams. So, um, so we, we did that post-COVID, um, so that's really helped, but also you've got your team members who maybe don't have access to the desktop when they're at work, you know, if they're on the frontline operations. Mm -hmm. So then we do have our social media, which is the internal Facebook page as well. Um, and then we've just launched our intranet, but again, if you're not at your desk, you're not gonna see it. Um, so today, marketing have just released our Babbling Brook, which is our um, newsletter for the team. Um, so we um, do that every, well, have done one for about six months. So you just have to try in different ways, but we don't get it right all the time, you know? And it's about your team meetings, um, keeping people up to date. We have a weekly ops meeting where the managers go to as well, the leaders, um, and just communicating that information. Actually, Janelle talked about a really good meeting that you did, the hands, All and, hands. yeah, mm. um, and I think that was a great way. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, um, at Real NZ, we uh, launched a monthly all-hands session, uh, and we record them so that people who aren't at desks or uh, are working remotely can watch them in team meetings and, um, and catch up with it later in, in their groups. But essentially, we spend 45 minutes, I get the finance team, the HR team, the marketing team, and the experience teams to come and talk and share about what's happening in the business. We also had feedback that things were happening in silos that our staff weren't hearing about until it hit social media or until it was in advertising. And so what we did was prepare the leaders to come and talk and share, be really open and transparent about our finances and the things that were going on and the challenges in Milford and up at Cadrona and, and down here in Queenstown and, and just kind of lift the lid uh, and it worked really well. We got great feedback on those sessions uh, and we're keeping them going now. It's, it's, it's been a really good success. Great questions. Thanks. Any, anyone else before we wrap, rush off to work or connect and network mm -hmm. over a coffee? Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you'd like me to do? No, no, I, don't, I just wanted to say thank you.
all for, for coming. And thank you so much to our presenters, Jason, Ryan, and, and Katie. That was really insightful. Um, and also thank you to Really Z and MyHR for, for sponsoring the awards. We really appreciate your support on that. Um, our next, we're going to be running uh, another one of these sessions. Uh, the next one will be on the 22nd of June. Okay, welcome to number uh, episode number 29 of From the Resort Podcast. Your host, Tim Wilshere, today was a great session. It was run at the um, Millbrook Resort, which is uh, out close towards Arrowtown. Now, my HR um, and Real NZ basically sponsored a set of awards, and uh, Millbrook won the award for the, the best, uh, well, basically the employer of choice, uh, in the Queenstown region. It was a Queenstown Chamber of Commerce Award. Um, the talks and, and explanation about things um, went for about an hour, so it was really, really good. It was very, very interesting. Um, I found it very fascinating. Uh, probably, I'm, I'm going to try to probably timestamp this uh, podcast, so look for that uh, because it goes through quite a bit of stuff, and it's, it's an hour, so you may not want to necessarily listen to all of it, but... Certainly, uh, Jason Enor from MyHR, very interesting um, uh, guy, and uh, MyHR is is a basically a, a HR company looking at uh, the basically set up in Australia and New Zealand, mainly New Zealand. Um, so yeah, we we find out a lot about the Millbrook um, culture, team culture. We find out about um, some trends in in the employment marketplace. What was fascinating to me was that the change, the, the people that are changing careers in the last couple of years um, or getting in and out of jobs, uh, whether they stayed in the same industry, you know, there would have been a lot of change in industry too. So how are employers keeping their employees? Very interesting stuff. Have a listen. Give me some feedback. Love the Queenstown Chamber of Commerce. Thank you.